You are listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm your host, military veteran, military spouse, and mom, Amanda Huffman. My goal is to find the heart of the story and uncover issues women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get Women of the Military podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show onto all the apps people like to listen to? How much will it cost to get started? And how will I make money from my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. So, if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go for it. Go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. My guest today is Pam. She never intended on joining the military and ended up doing so after traveling the world backpacking in 2000. She came home with no money and went back to waiting tables and was looking to get back into college. 9-11 happened and she moved out of Chicago to Portland, Oregon in hopes of a fresh start, but finding work proved very difficult. She ended up enlisting in the army because after her adventures around the world, she knew she could do anything for a few years. She ended up getting stop loss during her deployment to Iraq. She left the military when she returned home from her deployment. Her service led her to the life she has today. She met her husband while in the military and they have three boys and she also started a business called Health on the Home Front which is focused on helping military spouses take back control of their life through mindset, connection, health, and well-being. I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to you today. Welcome. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. I usually start with why did you join the military but I feel like we kind of got a little bit of why you joined the military from the intro. So I wanted to talk about how did you go from being stuck where you kind of were trying to get a fresh start and it didn't work out. What led you to go to the military? Well, after traveling and just sort of feeling like I was seeing the world for the first time. My eyes had just been opened up so much. I was ready to get back into college and actually do well. (laughs) The first go round of college was not great because I literally just went there because I had graduated high school. So I was looking to, you know, better my life and situation and wanted to actually learn this time. So I wanted to get out of Chicago because the colleges there are super expensive. It was just really expensive to live there in the city. And I absolutely loved it, but I also had a bunch of distractions. So I was looking for sort of the carefree life of the uh, Pacific Northwest, moved out there and absolutely love that area. But because 9-11 had happened, sort of all of the teachers and firefighters and everybody had sort of lost a lot of jobs and had fallen back to waiting tables, bartending, sort of picking up those service industry jobs. And I struggled to find work so badly. I couldn't find anything. And then I was starting to, you know, use my credit card to pay for things so I'd have cash. It was just 
I was seeing that it was snowballing into something that I was just getting really uncomfortable with. And so I needed something to help me out. And I was older. So I, you know, I was in my late twenties, so I wasn't going to, I didn't want to call on my parents for the help or anything. I just wanted to figure out what I could do to get myself out of that situation. And my dad had been in the military. I had two brothers that had been in. And so I just thought, you know, Hey, I can do, I can do it. You know? So I went down and spoke to a recruiter and sort of figured out my options, decided to get in as a medic. And I really just chose that because I'm not mechanically inclined at all. So I knew that wasn't going to be a good fit or really keep my interest. And my dad had done that. And one of my brothers had done that. So I thought, okay, I'll just be a medic and tested and was able to do it. And yeah, so I signed up and thought now this will get me out of debt and then I will have my college paid for. And that's what it did. And then, you know, just had no idea of everything. Because I was older, I was more like mature going in. So when all the little games started, like basic training and all that stuff, and like people would be crying and just completely at their wits end, I kind of was able to see it for what it was and just kind of go along with it. Something I never knew I would do, but I also never knew I was going to travel the world for years. I had no idea I was ever going to be a soldier, that I would know how to break down and reassemble a rifle and, you know, just all of that stuff. It's just very crazy. So you talked a little bit about boot camp. What was boot camp like overall? So it sounds like the exercises and that you were able to overcome it and keep a clear head when some people got a little overwhelmed, but was there anything else that you remember from that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've never been one that likes being kind of bossed around, but because <laughs> I'm fiercely independent. But yeah, I was just able to go along with it. You know, all of the like smoking or whatever that they would do, like the, the physical training and stuff when we'd get in trouble for something. I just always just kept saying in my mind, like, okay, well, I'm just going to be in better shape, you know, kept going with it. So I really did try to just, and you know, I would definitely get upset and angry sometimes because it would be, you know, we weren't ever allowed to pick the dessert in the chow hall during the basic training and there inevitably there was always somebody who grabbed a dessert so then we would all get you know mass punished and stuff and so things like that would make me mad <laughs> but um for the most part yeah I could just go along with it and I knew it was just all basically temporary you know and then you just move on to the next step and then the traveler in me always loved sort of moving to the next location and uh checking out a new area so after you graduated from boot camp where did you go next went to San Antonio, Texas for my medic training. And that was four months. And then I know that you deployed to Iraq. How much time was there between graduating what we call tech school and deploying to Iraq? Oh gosh, what was it? Let's see. Oh, maybe a year, year and a half, something like that. Gosh, it was so long ago now because I got out the end of 06. Okay. When I was done, done. So you had been in for about a year and a half. So you kind of knew a little bit about like what your job was and what you were doing. Yeah, absolutely. And it was really interesting because you get a lot of liberty as a medic to do some pretty cool things where in the civilian world, like you would have to have, you know, such a higher education to be able to do like all of the things that we're allowed to do. So yeah, it was pretty, pretty interesting. That reminds me that at deployment training, I 
I put an IV in someone. I can't believe they like let me put an IV in someone. Like, yep. I still can't believe that I did that. And yep. Like the doc was right there. Now do this. Now do that. But I still. Yeah. Well, you know, it's important to know when you're a service member, you know, somebody out if you have to in a situation. You're a medic. So what did you do in Iraq? Basically the everyday sick call in the morning and the afternoon. A lot of the same stuff that we did stateside. But then there was like there was one time we got called for a mass casualty and we had to go to the hospital and they needed us on hand in case we had to help. They didn't end up really needing us to do too much. They pretty much had it covered. They just, I think maybe just weren't sure how many people were going to be coming in. And that was the one time that I saw, you know, kind of gruesome things, injuries that I hadn't ever witnessed before. So that was like the most kind of traumatic of things that I saw. But other than that, it was basically the same stuff that we did when we were you know, at our clinic in Clarksville at Fort Campbell. So it was kind of every day. It's just, there was always that looming, you know, you would hear things in the background or, you know, you're wearing your body armor everywhere, which is always a constant reminder that you're not in America. And where in Iraq were you? In Balad. So for the most part, I mean, it was, I wasn't going off Balad. So I wasn't doing any convoys or anything like that. But there definitely still is that awareness that in Iraq and, you know, I was a soldier there in Iraq. So while I wasn't necessarily seeing things firsthand, you know, it's still, it still was a big thing. I've heard that in Iraq, there were a lot of like incoming fire to the bases. Did they have that? Yes. And there was one that actually like landed in or I would say it was like a block from us, if that, but it didn't detonate. So that was, and that was just kind of one of those rude awakening again of like where you're at and right. what could happen. And thankfully it did not go off, but yeah, it certainly is. Yeah, because that's one of the things, I was at a really tiny fob and we never had incoming one time, but it was, they were shooting at a helicopter. So it wasn't, okay. they were shooting at the base. And when I was at Bagram, I was there quite often often because we would drive there it only happened like one or two times and the one time well one time for sure and I didn't even wake up <laughs> I just that's funny but, and so I feel like things I've heard from people who went to Iraq that it was like constant and that there was a lot more there'd be like days or weeks even at Bagram that they wouldn't even do incoming because yeah, no, we had a lot of incoming and that would be, you know, you'd be walking somewhere and then all of a sudden you'd hear a siren go off and we'd have to like, you know, find one of the, the shelters quickly. But then a lot of times you would just hear the explosives like going off in the background. And then there was one time I witnessed somebody who I'm pretty sure he had probably deployed, you know, multiple times. He was older, but we were visiting him at a clinic and there's a certain sound from something that's incoming, like the whistle that happens. And I don't know what created that sound this time, but that sound happened and like the sheer look on his face and instant panic. I hadn't, that was the first time I had heard it, even though that's not what it was. And I just seeing the look on his face, like I really felt for him. You know what I mean? Because he thought he was thinking, oh my gosh, something's coming, you know? And it's just, once again, it's that reality of like, oh, well that could happen. I definitely had some, a bit of, I mean, I guess you would call it PTSD. Like when we first got back and then we were in Washington and I remember the first 4th of July when all of the things were going off, like it really, 
really, and I think it was really just the one year, the first year that I was back and I heard like all of the snapping and popping. I couldn't go to sleep that night. It kept sort of like jolting me awake with mm-hmm. that little bit of, of fear. Yeah, well, it definitely. sounds, it sounds so similar. Yes. I don't like 4th of July because I, especially in LA, because we had to sleep with the windows open in the summer because yeah, we that's what Washington was too. Nobody yeah. had air conditioning. Yeah. And so you're like trying to go to sleep and you're like, I'm home, I'm safe. And like, yes, I know. A lot of time, but I just don't you like can't it. Swit, flip that switch in your brain. It just hears it and it's programmed to like be on alert. It's, it's so you still have that. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't like 4th of July. I just right. have that. I have a lot of PTSD for sure. Like yesterday, I went outside when we were doing IED training. They would always be like, this stack of rocks means IED, which would have been great if, you know, it actually meant an IED. But there's stacks right. of rocks everywhere. In right. And there's stacks of rocks everywhere in the United States, which I had right. no idea. Right, and right. My sons were playing outside and they stacked a bunch of rocks. And I like, oh, gosh. like. Oh, ID. That's like the first thing I think of whenever yeah. I see that and I have to be like, no. So I have a lot of like really weird triggers that yeah. that I can like recognize and stop. But my first thought when I saw that was right. ID because I was like, what the heck is that doing in my yard? Like, right. And so I do better when it's like out in nature, but because they were all over Afghanistan and we would just, you couldn't stop and check. You had to drive. Right, right. But that training, I think a lot of it was like what I was trained for. And then when I was over there, it was kind of different because you kind of have like your job and your mission. But then when I'm back home, the training that I got when I was in a safe place is stuck with me. Right. That was just there. Because I like a lot of my training stuff will come back because I learned that when I was safe in the United States. And then when I was overseas, I was able to adjust it to like the reality of what I was. But when I'm home, yeah, I'll see stuff and be like, oh, da da da. Right. But yeah, the stack of rocks is like my main thing that whenever I see it, I always think ID. Yeah. And the the sound thing, when we had the incoming, the alarms didn't go off because they had never really had incoming. It was a French fob. They didn't really know what they were doing. But I heard the helicopter in the air and I heard the sound because we had a lot of outgoing. So I knew Mm -hmm. what the sound sounded like. And I was like, huh, they don't usually do outgoing when there's a helicopter in the air. And then no alarm went off. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to sleep. And then like 30 minutes later, the alarm went off. And I was like, oh, yeah, I heard it. I knew what it was. Yeah. Just get used to the sounds and you know right yep and then well and then the alarm didn't always go off you know what I mean then you know it was scary when it did I mean it was scary no matter what but it was scary when it did because then you're like oh my god what is this you know (laughs) (laughs) they know it's coming what's happening when you were deployed you said in the intro that you were stop loss can you talk about what stop loss is yes so (laughs) my time in the military was actually going to be over during the deployment but they don't send people home during a deployment. So they froze me, basically, you know, you stay in the military and complete the entire deployment and then come home and then initiated my departure. So when you left for your deployment, they knew that you would be stop lost and they like, yes, no, they told me. And I think, and I was only going to be like, I only had a few months left. So they got a lot more time out, but I was, I wasn't married to my husband at the time, but we were dating. So we were actually, deployed together. So I kind of preferred going with him. And so we were, you know, we would get to see each other like once 
a week. And then we were lucky in that our commands um, like worked with us and gave us the same day off. So we would get to kind of spend that day together. And yeah, so, you know, it was convenient. I got to see him a lot more than if I would have been stateside. So we'd go grab a pizza and like there was a movie theater on post. So we would go to that, which is kind of crazy. I know there was a movie theater on post in Iraq. So we'd have a date day. We had, I guess we kind of had a movie theater. We had like a little room that had, it had stadium seatings and they would just have like movies playing all the time. Okay. It was like an MWR tent. So it wasn't new movies. It was all old movies. Right. Yeah, I got to tell you, though, um, being deployed was great to, you know, you don't have any bills going while you're deployed, so you're saving a lot of money. I went to the gym, like, every single day, because there's not really anything to do when you're in your off time, so I had a great, like, workout schedule, I wasn't spending barely any money. And so, you know, you wouldn't necessarily choose to do that, but there were a couple of added benefits when you're in the situation. Yeah. I just read a blog post and she's like, someone would do my laundry. Someone would make my food. (laughs) That's true. Like you just went to work and then you went to your room and you worked out because there wasn't really anything else to do. Yeah. Every day I swear I'd go get like the longest workout I ever did because you might as well. Like I lived right my little trailer was like right by the gym so it was super convenient but one thing that I didn't like was that you know you don't have a bathroom in your Mm -hmm. living space so I had to walk like a block every time I had to go to the bathroom or shower or anything like that so and I'm somebody who always had to get up during the night to go to the bathroom and oh I just always dreaded that having to like walk out in the middle of the night and yeah that was kind of frustrating. We had like a really tiny, <laughs> well, we had a porter potty like right across from my tent. And so I would use that in the middle of the night as the cleanest porter potty ever. I don't know. It like cleaned it <laughs> every day. It was amazing. But the showers and the real bathrooms were farther away. Did you face any struggles while you were serving in the military? Well, I really wanted to be stationed overseas. Like I really wanted Germany or something, you know, different. And then I got Kentucky. That was like the one time I had a breakdown in the military. What's what? I'm going to uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. I wanted somewhere like cool and neat and different in a way. And yeah, so no, I mean, not really. Just sort of, you know, a lot of times I felt like I was just kind of going through the motions because I knew it wasn't like a career for me. I didn't even want to be like a nurse or in the medical field, really. So a lot of times I just felt I was sort of checking the block because it was just kind of something I needed to do for the life circumstance that I was in at the time. And that, you know, it's what a lot of people use it for. That's what the military is great for. I just happened to be, you know, older. A lot of people join at like 18. Like it gave my husband like a, this amazing life to where he didn't have to struggle like a lot of his family members have living in LA and stuff. So, but but yeah, I was just at a older, tough time in my life and, and it worked. I mean, I got a couple different degrees from it and, you know, a husband and kids and family and everything. So, and we just served in Korea. So I got to see Korea, which was really amazing for a couple of years. So let's talk about <laughs> Korea. Cause I know that you really loved being over there. Yes. So what yes. was that experience like? Oh, it was so incredibly challenging, which makes it amazing. And I think anytime I can push myself 
completely outside of my comfort zone is when incredible growth happens within yourself because it broke every single routine I had. You know, people didn't, the locals didn't speak English barely at all. And that you can't read street signs, you can't read maps. I mean, it was really tough in the beginning. It's the longest adjustment period I've had for a move because I'm very independent and I would always go out and explore new areas. And there it was like, I couldn't stop and ask for directions if I got lost and how in the world am I going to find my way back, you know? So it was tough until I really started like recognizing things because there's so many tiny little streets that don't like all run parallel to each other <laughs> that twist and wind and yeah, but the outdoor markets, it's such an honest society, just really hard working, honest people, you know, people don't own weapons. So you don't have a fear like you do in America of any sort of like crime like that at all. And to have that completely removed, like you forget how much that kind of will be in your mind in America once it's completely like taken off the table. Because you just, you never heard about violent crimes like that while you're over there, nor you know, experienced anything like that in news or anything. So yeah, I mean, it really has like so many benefits to it, but it is incredibly challenging at the same time. Like it's not, it's not easy because it is so different. You know, we would go to a park and we would be the only Americans there. We, we lived in Korea, not on post, which I loved. It just immersed us more in the experience and I was close enough. I could walk to the outdoor market if I wanted to, which is is incredible. I mean, their local produce and everything is amazing. It's just, it's a really neat culture. I love the food. I miss the food every day. So you met your husband while you were on active duty and then you guys got to deploy together and then you came back and you transitioned out of the military. When did you get married? I transitioned out and then after a couple of months, we got engaged and then after a couple of weeks, we got married. <laughs> We had been together for about three years, and it was one of those where we were moving out to Washington State, and we knew we were going to get married, and so to have the military actually move me, because he was a school in Virginia, we just went ahead and went down to the courthouse and got married there, and then I moved us out, and we bought a home in Washington, and I got us settled there, and then several months later, he ended up coming out there. After his schooling? Yeah. What was it like to switch? from being on active duty to being a military spouse? Did you notice any changes? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I thought that it would help me out so much because I had seen the inside of the military and then to be on the outside. But, you know, it's, it's a beast sometimes <laughs> to be a military spouse because there is so much sacrifice that comes with it. And so much that you're sort of taking care of and picking up the pieces because they're always working and doing things. And so you kind of have to do all your normal everyday mom, wife kind of life responsibilities. But then you've got all the military fun stuff thrown on top of it all too. Yeah, they always seem to get extra busy when there's a lot to take care of. I didn't really understand the sacrifice that military spouses had to 
make until I became one. And then I was like, oh. Exactly. Especially because when I was in, I felt like I was like sort of in control of what was going on. And then I got out and it was like what I wanted didn't matter anymore. It wasn't like, oh, well, we can make this happen for both our careers. It was all him. And it was really, that was a really hard adjustment. Yeah, it is. It's hard every day. What would you say the hardest part of being a military spouse is? I would say probably the loneliness factor of just constantly moving and restarting. And I swear you really get your solid group of friends right before it's time to move and start over again. It's like you, you know, sort of weed through just the acquaintances and you find the people that you're really like connecting with and have great chemistry and share things in common. And, you know, it's great. You end up having friends all over the world, but I like am somebody that needs to have my local people to go grab lunch with or, you know, coffee or something. And constantly having to restart that is difficult. And it's tough because I enjoy moving to new places. I'll kind of start to get a little stagnant after we've been somewhere for a while. They start itching, go explore new areas. But then that's that whole move is just a pain in the butt. And that's never easy. I hate unpacking dreadfully. So that's tough. But, But yeah, like starting over with meeting everybody. And in Korea, it seemed easier because you're in a foreign country. So the military spouses kind of like seek each other out because you miss talking to somebody and all of that. Like in America here, going from Korea to Kansas, everybody's, not everybody, but you know, a lot of people are just all established and they already have their friends and they're doing their, you know, routines. So it seemed easier to come together in Korea because you were looking for some normalcy, you know, Whereas here, it's been tough just to meet people. And when you have little kids that are, you know, still needing so much of your time and energy and all of that. And then when you're running a business, that's even less time you have that you're getting out and kind of being social with other people. And I want to talk a little bit about what your business is and what you do to help military spouses. So can you talk a little bit about that? My business is Health on the Home Front. And so, yeah, I really started it. Two, because I've been a military spouse now for, well, I've been with my husband for three years before we got married and then married for 11. So about 14, a little over 14 years coming up on 15. And I just knew the struggles and the overwhelm and the sacrifice that we do, how difficult it is to take care of ourselves and our health and really just kind of claim our individual purpose. And so I wanted to help other military spouses get that because once I really discovered, you know, for me, it's my business. And when I started diving into that, even on those days that I'm lonely or on the like tough transition days, I'm still so like filled up because I found what I really want to be doing. And that doesn't mean it has to be a business for somebody else, but you know, just sort of finding what your deeper purpose is gets you through those tough times because you just know that you've got something else that's your greater calling, really, I guess, you know, that fills you up. Yeah, I can I can really relate to that because when we first moved here, I was like, I don't have any friends, but I have my blog. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. For a while, then I was like, but I need friends now. I know. Right. 
It only you definitely you need. Up, like so much, but it does help. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And part of what I do too is sort of bring the community of military spouses together. So it's other, you know, positive women that are wanting to connect and, you know, better themselves and their lives. Because there can be a lot of disgruntled military spouse noise amongst the communities <laughs> that can just sort of bring everybody down. So that <laughs> I'll put links to your website and your social media handles. So if people want to learn more information, they can go on and check it out. And then my last question is, what would you tell girls considering joining the military? I would say, you know, just weigh all of your options. And if it is the best thing to do, then do it. You know, I just heard somebody saying the other day, like, oh, you know, we would absolutely not let our, you know, relative join. Like we, we completely discourage them from it. And I like, I just didn't get it. You know, it absolutely helped me out so much in the situation that I was. I have a college degree now. I've got my family, which I had no idea that was going to happen from it too. You just never know where life is going to take you. So I absolutely see the benefit. I would not, you know, my, my boys are free to choose whatever path they want. I wouldn't push them or discourage them from doing it, but there are absolute benefits in it completely. So yeah. I like what you said that you need to like weigh your options and do what's best for you because I think the military isn't for everyone but it, right. it can be for some people and that when you consider it and look at it it might be the best option or maybe it won't but to look at I wouldn't options. make a rash decision because the military is a huge commitment kind of like parenting <laughs> don't rush into it but <laughs> it definitely has a ton of benefits <laughs> Thank you so much for being a guest this week on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women of the Military. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing stories I have with women who have served in our military. Did you love the show? Don't forget to leave a review. Finally, if you are a woman who has served or is currently serving in the military, please email me at airmentomom at gmail.com so I can set you up to be on a future episode of Women of the Military.